This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch-up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo Irarangi Onatangata o Manawatu. It is a very brisk Monday morning, uh, the 16th of August. Uh, and we welcome to the studio for the catch-up this morning. For the first time in a couple of weeks, schedules have clashed, but we're back on track again. We have Jimmy Ellingham from the Manawatu Standard Morena. Jimmy. Yes, good morning, Fraser. Um, yes, as I said, it's been a, a couple of weeks, so a chance to perhaps revisit some things. I know in, in one in instance here we've got some uh, just some additional information to something we talked about before um let's start with summer Hayes bowling club well i say bowling club it hasn't been a bowling club for a while really but uh there's former yes and uh, bowling club down some hay street yes as we, we've spoken about this affair but this has been an issue that has been ongoing uh, for some months now and the idea is that the city council there wants to rezone the land uh, for residential yes. i think some of it's residential and some is uh, recreational, so some was already fine, yeah. Uh, but they want to. The city council wants to turn it into houses, and th- there's been a call for public submissions. Fifty-seven people put pen to paper or mm-hmm. uh, or to keyboard or whatever you do these days and made submissions. Uh, most of which were in favour. Good of the. Well, I say, I've, I've 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 shown my true colours straight away. <laughs> Good, marvellous, <laughs> excellent. Yes, yes. Oh well, we won't. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to wonder what you think about this. But last week at the city council, there was uh, submissions uh, for people who actually wanted to present mm. their submissions. I think half a dozen people did that. And among those people who did that, there was actually quite a few divergent views about what to do, uh, as you would expect in Mm -hmm, a way. Um, And that that was quite good to hear. Uh, The land is, I think it's 7,664 square metres. And it doesn't have, as we've discussed before, it doesn't actually have a uh, a face on the road as such. There's the driveways that you can get down there from Summer Hay Street, but there's no... It wouldn't be like a park on the corner no. that we see uh, around the city. But anyway, of the people that spoke to the city council last week, uh, I'll just give you an idea of what they said because it was the cross-section, uh, the spectrum of views. We had Marilyn and Bruce Bullock, who are well-known names uh, for arguing in the city for green space. They right. were involved in the Railway Land Action Group, I think it was called, and many years ago, uh, which was formed to stop the warehouse where the warehouse was built. Uh, oh, okay. It used, to be, uh, it used to be a big bit of dirt. Right. And, uh, and lots of people were against that. And there's been other plans to develop the railway land uh, down the years. Anyway, they said that this land should be kept for recreation, that their argument was pretty well, once we lose our green space in the city, it's gone forever. Mm -hmm. And uh, they said as a, perhaps as a compromise, you could have some housing and some green space, which actually doesn't seem too too bad an idea in a way, because there's not a lot of, as they and a few other submitters pointed out, there's not a lot of parkland round that's hugely close to Summer Hay Street. Okay. The council says Memorial Park, Papioia Park, but they're not that, still a, not that close. It's a bit walk. of a hike, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's not it's not that close. Um, they also said that perhaps they could retain the old uh, bowling club buildings as some sort of public venue. 
which is an interesting uh, interesting idea. I suppose you'd need to know what state of repair they're in. Cause it'll be well, it's only been a year or so since they've moved out. Of course, it looks fairly dramatic uh, mm. at the moment, doesn't it? Because the weeds are growing up where the bowling greens used to be. And we saw that uh, many years ago on what the council calls the Huia Street Reserve, what the rest of us call the corner of Park Road and Fitzherbert Ave. Uh, if you recall, when the bowling club moved out of there, it, 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 it got quite uh, overgrown quite fast. Yes. So it, it sometimes perhaps looks a bit worse than what it is. But yes, I don't, I don't know what state mm. those buildings are in down uh, Summer Hay Street. A couple of residents uh, who said they lived at 5 Summer Hay Street, which I used to actually live at when I was flatting uh, years ago. Uh, Beverly Green and Donald McIntyre Campbell's suggested turning the area into a park for small dogs and a community garden, a place for contemplation and for one to recharge uh, one's mental health. Uh, Jim Owen said that should be housing, but perhaps marketed at uh, older people who are looking to downsize uh, and who don't want to go into retirement villages mm. but still want something Small. I mean, he was essentially saying townhouses. And of course he said it can't just be for older people, but if you're marketing it, it should be with them. Uh, In mind, we had the Manawatu Community Housing Trust saying perhaps it could be some form of housing where we work to house people who, through whatever reason, um, aren't seen as tenants, desirable tenants that can't keep... Uh, can't get houses of their own, which I'm sure the people down Summer Hay Street will be delighted to hear. Uh, Jackie Jackie Little came in and said perhaps housing, social housing for people with disabilities because it's mm. relatively close to town and bus routes, that sort of thing. She said people with disabilities often end up uh, living with people who perhaps aren't, you know, yes. they're, they're not ideal neighbours yeah. in some cases. So, so she suggested perhaps having this land for that. And Sport Manor too, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what they were saying. <laughs> because it was so full of business jargon. But I think what they were saying is something along the lines of at least have some recreational space there. Right. Uh, a decision will be made in October. Officials will go away, look at all the submissions, and uh, probably conclude what they wanted to originally anyway. It still sounds like the the overwhelming uh, view is that it should be housing, just what style of housing. Yeah, and perhaps and housing recreational with, space. with some recreational space. Could, I mean, and that seems to be the way now we've seen with – the city council here, by the way, hasn't said this will be social housing. It could just well be sold, private development, sold, yeah, yeah, whatever. It just wants to rezone the land. But we have seen, say, if there were to be social housing there, that with the likes of Papioia Place, there seems to be some mind now to actually have some green space mm-hmm. there and some recreation as well. You know, it's not just going to have a whole lot of housing with no outdoor facilities. Big tower block, yeah, big tower block. Well, why not? We need to build up, don't we? In some, I, th- I in some, think so. In some cases. I've said this before on the catch-up. With Papaioia Place, I've often wondered why at least some of that wasn't two or three-storey. I do wonder if it's because a lot of, in a lot of people's minds you, you have two or three-storey housing and we think of those old-style state houses. And, yep. and I'm not saying this wouldn't be that, but people can't get past well, that. Well, I mean, I mean the, what they built in Papaioia Place was just a replacement of social slash state housing, mm. but it looks different and doesn't look like that, and it's great. So you you could redevelop that whole model yes. for you know, three-story and have it not look like state housing. Yes, yes, you don't need to build those uh, old-style <laughs> two, two to three-story sort of blocks that we had built no. in the 70s and 80s. Plenty of interesting ideas there, mm. but sadly that wasn't done. And I, I get it for accessibility for a lot of the people that would be using that and, and being able to keep it versatile. There are arguments there, but... Yeah, I think Papioia Place has done quite well, though. It's much better looking. It mm. just has a nice feel to it now. There's gardens, there's lawn. Uh, I mean, there were, And there's more. And, and there's more, yeah, yeah. They, they are quite, they're quite small, but they don't look that small because each place has a yard. Yep. 
And it all looks quite neat, I reckon. Oh, definitely. Um, on the subject of housing, let's stick with that. Uh, you've got some news on Housing New Zealand. Yeah, speaking of those old two- and three-storey yes. Housing New Zealand blocks, uh, I, I went to uh, a new development on Exeter Crescent, which is just sort of in the area of Coulson Street off Wood Street, round, round there near the Mungoni yes. Stream, if, yes. if you can uh, envisage that area. And uh, the last time I actually went to the street was in 2015, when one of these old uh, two-storey state housing um what do you call them, units, dwellings, actually burnt down and it was a fatal house fire. Okay. Um, so, and there was a big block of land there which had two or three of these uh, big old style, uh, quite unpleasant looking uh, houses. And um, they've all been replaced though with Housing New Zealand has, has torn them, or torn the remaining ones that down and there's tenants moving in possibly as we speak to the first phase of this development which has uh, 10 units there. There's five one bedroom, four two bedroom and one three bedroom So before there uh, were units. like three, how many houses? There used to be three big two story yep. ones. I'm not sure how many units because they were divided uh, up quite right, often yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, into that. And earlier this year I actually It still did, sounds like there's more there now than there was. There though. will be yeah and there's, and there's phase two of the uh, development is under construction that will have four four bedroom, two three bedroom houses so some bigger yep. uh, blocks there as well but uh, Kainga Order, uh, you know it used to be Housing New Zealand says that there's and we all know that greater demand for one and two bedroom mm-hmm. uh, uh, houses there. But uh, yeah, I went and had a look at some of these new houses, and, and once again, they actually look quite nice. They, they don't have huge yards or anything like that, but there are parks around that area. Yep. And Kainga Order says, well, we sort of look at the surrounding area. If there's no parks for ages, then we yeah we might give some more green space around. Well, I mean, I mean the gross stereotype, but if if this is state housing, chances are there are either financial implications or or physical ability implications. Yep. It means you wouldn't be able to tend to a yard anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's not a stereotype. I mean, that's the reality. I think of of social or public housing. I did a story earlier this year which actually showed. Um, so Kyung Auto will say that in the last three years, it's built eighty four new dwellings, if mm. you like, in Palmerston North in the past three years, and that's the first state houses built in the city for. Three Three decades, yep. which is unbelievable. Yes, <laughs> when you think about that. But it's probably not. And yet here we are, Jimmy. <laughs> here we are. Um, although um, I did a story that shows that actually, spot those eighty-four new builds, uh, the numbers had stagnated because a lot of those were we tear down these yes. old unsuitable units, build new ones, and that's great. Has to be done. But meantime, I think uh, the last figures I could find anyway for March showed seven hundred fifteen applicants on the social housing. Register, mm-hmm. so I mean, we we can't meet that sort of demand uh, in, in a way. But also, Housing New Zealand, uh, as I reported last week, is, has bought this big block of land on Church Street. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. It's between uh, Albert and Victoria, okay, Ave, and it's on the sort of river side of town. Mm-hmm. Some of the properties there have already been taken away, and it, it's quite huge there. It's it's ten thousand, just over ten thousand square meters, and they paid a couple of million dollars, as you'd expect. It's prime, yeah, very uh, prime. real estate yeah. there. And Housing New Zealand expects to build up to sixty homes there, but it's still in the early early phase. So I can't yeah. give an exact number, as you'd expect. It's looking at getting resource consents in uh, next year, and by the end of next year, for construction to be. I'm not not sure if not completed, but at least you know well this, well uh, underway. The numbers you've just uh, read out it just go, it goes to show how insurmountable this problem appears to be because yeah. sixty units a waiting list yeah, of seven hundred fifteen yeah. by the time by the time those sixty units are there the the waiting list is going to be even yeah. higher. Yeah, and not all those seven hundred fifteen they might go into say city council housing yep. or, or providers uh, such as we see legacy or church. fortune may smile on them and they don't need it because somebody got a job. 
that, that could happen as well. I mean, for example, housing, oh, Kaing Order, I should say, sorry, has 150 houses or units in Palmerston North in the, as it calls, the feasibility or planning stages. And that's huge. That's, that's a lot. But like you say, it's a mere dent mm-hmm. in that uh, social housing uh, register. And, and it takes time too. For example, Kaingora was explaining that they, have to, they, they basically have to find a pool of contractors and builders that can work for them because cause they hadn't done anything for so long. Yeah. They, they didn't have those no. sort of relationships And tradies are like hen's teeth at exactly. the moment. Yes. yes. I mean, they're, they're busy as it is. So because they didn't have those existing relationships, they even have to build up that sort of thing, yeah. which is what happens when you go, oh, gosh, three decades, which is quite unbelievable. Yeah. And, yeah, yes, the housing crisis, ladies and gentlemen, continues. You can try and prove anything with statistics, but yes, it's still here. Um, let's talk. Uh, we are here with Jimmy Ellingham from Manawatu Standard for the catch up. Let's talk about the council spending money on, on sort of legal battles. Yeah, we spoke about this, I think, a couple of months ago, didn't we? A group speak up for women, mm. uh, which has attracted controversy around New Zealand for its views on proposed law, which I think might have passed its second reading last week, uh, allowing people to change their uh, sex on their birth certificate, yes. isn't it? Uh, by a statutory declaration. Speak Up for Women is against that. It's, it's a we spoke to Tangi Utakere on Friday about this, the births, deaths, marriages and relationships bill. Yeah, that's that, that's the one. And uh, Speak Up for Women, this group, they've toured around New Zealand. They've attracted quite a few protesters. They've also attracted, in some places, quite large uh, audiences watching them. In Palmerston mm. North, they really had neither. About 20-odd people in the end uh, came to watch them and no protest. But pote- potentially the lack of interest was because uh, they had a booking with the city council to use the city library in June. And uh, after a couple of weeks, the city council changed its mind and reversed this booking. So Speak Up for Women took the council to court and won, mm-hmm. um, as, as you'd probably expect it to, with a Bill of Rights sort of freedom of speech yep. uh, reasons, which the High Court was pretty clear about. And so the meeting did go ahead, uh, but I found that it cost the city council $30,000 to take that unsuccessful court action and lawyers' fees. So that's not including uh, the city council does have to pay costs, which I'm not sure if they've been worked out yet mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. the, the bill could be a bit more. If, if the council lawyers were $30,000, it's quite possible to speak up for women's uh, lawyers could be – could have been something along those lines. So we also found out a bit more about why it was cancelled because at the time the city council refused to answer questions. So it made us do the – as it's called, the Official Information Act or Local yes. Government Official Information and Meetings Act. So four weeks later, we found out why. And a couple of councillors, Rachel uh, excuse me, Rachel Bowen and Lorna Johnson, had come forward with concerns from constituents. Yep. So uh, Rachel Bowen said that she had concerns from rainbow groups. Lorna Johnson wouldn't say who, but those concerns were passed on. And then a decision was made. The council said at executive level uh, to cancel the meeting. Um. Well, I, I sort of I made a request for documents and emails and all that sort of thing. I was actually quite heartened to see that I think it was the library staff. You couldn't tell who because all the names were blanked out. Went to quite a quite a decent effort uh, to to do their own research before Speak Up for Women came. Mm. They, they explored things like freedom of speech rights, what their obligations as a library in a public space were. They mm-hmm. they even went to watch a meeting in Napier. So uh, it does actually seem that there was quite a bit yeah, of uh, work, bit, yeah. work put in for it. And, and, and this speaks to another issue as well. When we had the, in air quotes, arms fair um, a couple of years ago at uh, mm. Arena, uh, the council were challenged on the, sort of the, the lack of a venues policy. Yeah, and that's still, they don't have one. Yeah, well, yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and Two that, strikes. Because after that, there, there was quite a bit of hotness, if you yeah. like. It, mm. it was a hot topic. But then those discussions went nowhere, and I think they were sort of quietly shelved 
Uh, but that was another question. And I it's mean, bitten them in the bum again. <laughs> it has, it has. But but in this case, it's fairly clear, isn't it, that I would have thought that you'd, you'd, you can't really – if you're, a city council has an obligation to promote democracy, doesn't yes. it? Yes. And really saying no to a, a, a group that – Is ha- unpalatable. Yeah, is, uh, as unpalatable as someone might think their views are. You still have an obligation, I think, to let these groups uh, speak. I mean, the city council proposed, and I think this is also a good idea, having a discussion on the bill with people from both sides. Yes. Uh, but that can't be at the exclusion of one. If you've got an organisation that says, I want to use this public space, if it was a private organisation, completely different. Yes. Um, you, you can't just exclude them on the. I mean, as you said, the city council staff went to see a, a meeting in Napier. Mm. I'm assuming that was to see if they were inciting hatred yeah. or just putting a, a point across. Because you can legitimately say, I disagree with mm. this without to, without to the detriment of any. Yeah particular people involved. Yeah, so I'm they, assuming they said, they said, that's what they were doing. Yeah, and they said the Napier meeting uh, went ahead pretty well as expected. Yep. Uh, and, and the High Court ruled that this group was not a hate group. Had this group been a hate group or been ruled as a hate group, I think that's a bit but easy. That's easy, yeah. isn't it? It's an easy decision. But in this case... Thou like, shalt not pass. Yeah, like you say, as unpalatable as people might find their groups, they still sort of have a right uh, to, um, to... I mean, it's, it's a public... Yes. Uh, issue at the moment. So I don't know if this was handled very well. And we, we discussed this last time with the same thing of Don Brash speaking at Messi. Hey, I was going to say, we've got a bit of a reputation for this now <laughs> of making sort of poor judgment calls on, on people's meetings. Yeah. So in the end, the city council, as I said, wanted to have this discussion with both sides. And they invited the Internal Affairs Minister, Jan Tanetti, who sort of shepherded this bill through. Her office replied and said she's not available for the next few weeks. And the council said, oh, well, the next few days or something. And the council said, oh, well, she can come anytime. And they just never got a <laughs> reply. So it's perhaps some attempts there um, t- to do that from mm. the council as well. Speak Up for Women said they haven't heard anything about a meeting with both sides of the argument and they're quite happy to participate if that were the case. But uh, but yeah, it seems like a I mean, Bowen and uh, Johnson sort of said, oh, was, this was a useful process to go go through. Um, I don't know if it was, actually. Not for uh, a second no, time. No. I, I maintain that arms race, that there should be a venues policy. It should just have been a simple case of the mm. city council staff consulting the policy and making a call at the beginning and then not turning it round. Yes, exactly. And that, the problem here was it was the calls reversed for, mm. for apparently no good reason. And, uh, I mean, a $30,000 cost on ratepayers, um, it's not a huge amount of money – in some respects, but look after the pennies, and the pounds will look after themselves. Yeah, yeah, indeed, and <laughs> and it was ultimately unsuccessful it just as turned well. Turned into my grandfather. I'm sorry, <laughs> but yeah, so it's an interesting, an interesting issue, anyway, and I think it's one that the council um, definitely, in this case, probably got got wrong. Mm. Well. I, I, not necessarily got wrong, but uh, yes, not having a simple guide or policy to uh, – and, and have, having had mm. the warning shot before, yeah. being able to just consult something, it's, it, it seems blatantly obvious that there's a bit of infrastructure missing. Yeah, yeah. But also I, I'm a bit concerned about the idea that we um, we would want to stop a, a legitimate mm. uh, group talking about a legitimate – legitimate issue yep. from speaking at It's a about the assessment whether it's a hate yes. group or not, yes. not just yeah. a series of opinions. Yeah, and if you had a venues policy, you're quite right. If you had something, we could say, look, we cite this, this, and this, mm-hmm. um, and you're probably on much firmer firmer ground. Yes. But, uh, oh, well, we we'll, are, we'll yes. see if this issue uh, rises again next time. There's yeah. a, <laughs> a contentious... Uh, what, 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 what contentious issue could we go and uh, ask for a public meeting about, Jimmy? Indeed. Uh, we are here with Jimmy Ellingham from the Manawatu Standard, looking at what they have been reporting on over the past couple of weeks or so. If you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Let's turn our attention to the rail yards. 
Yes, we've spoken about this many times. And I'm sure for the next few years we'll, we'll continue to do so. This well, it is, is one of the biggest infrastructure projects happening here. So. I'm glad you mentioned the size because at the first week of hearings into, uh, I think it's a designation hearing. So basically Kiwi Rail needs to get permission to designate all this land as being suitable. So right. this is not saying they will go, the rail yards will go ahead or not. This is wow. this is to okay. say that they can right. um, go ahead. And because so far, funding-wise anyway, we've only had $40 million from the Provincial Growth Fund, and that's just for buying properties and mm-hmm. planning. So mm-hmm. we, we don't even have any funding guarantees at this stage. But they hit, it's a two-week hearing uh, that began last week and will continue this week too. But uh, speaking of size, as you did on Friday, Kiwi Rail got up and actually gave us an idea of how big uh, it will be. And it's about 177 hectares of land that will be required. And if to put that in context, at the moment the rail yards on Tremaine Ave are 20 Hectares. Good so, grief. That's a huge difference, isn't it? We didn't really have a, an exact idea of, of the size There was involved. an artist's impression in the standard a while ago, though, yes, wasn't there? Yes, there was, and that didn't quite... Um, that doesn't seem like 177. No, it didn't quite give an idea. And, because, and this is what they, they talked about. Is the reason for this is the likes of we need areas, apparently, for stormwater ponds, ah. um, you know, uh, what they call it, a sound buffer, basically, yeah, around yeah, it, where yeah. they want to plant so you can't see, or, or more importantly, hear. Yes. Because it's a 24... It's going to be a 24-hour operation. And, I mean, another idea of size, it needs to have capacity to deal with freight trains that are 1.5 kilometres long. Good lord. Which is quite a long train, isn't it? It's going to have marshalling yards, container depot, maintenance facilities. Um, that 20 hectares on Tremaine Ave apparently already is too small yes. uh, to cope with the, with the volumes of freight that go through that. Kiwi Rail apparently also looked at nine sites between Bunnythorpe and Longburn. Okay. And of which four were discounted straight away and then they had a long list, if you will, of five. So that their preferred one is the one we're discussing at the moment, which is between Bunnythorpe and sort of railway road area yeah, yeah. Uh, of Palmerston North. It would also involve moving, I think, bits of Robert's line, moving the railway line as well. Oh, wow. Um, but more importantly, having some of those dangerous intersections uh, finally solved by not having them. Yes. Well, anymore, I mean, yeah, is, well, I mean there, are, there are positives there as well, I suppose. Are the other uh, locations still on the cards then? No, I, I don't think so. At least they weren't referred to um, mm. that I could see. So I think this is a hearing for this. Yeah. That their preferred site is that. I, I guess if the, here, uh, the commissioner, John Masson, comes back and says, no, I'm not giving you permission, then perhaps those other locations <laughs> yes. uh, will be, will be uh, on the cards. So I've already heard as well that Kiwi Rail actually has started buying property already out out and it's yep. between Bunnythorpe and Palmerston North. It, it does seem like a, a logical place in a way. I'm not really sure on the other side of town if it would be so suitable given, no. given that amount of land is needed. And given the industry that's already on Tremaine mm. and out, out that way. Um, what's happening with Tremaine then? With Trem- the, 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 the rail yard just off oh, to well, the they 20- haven't got to that, uh, right, that I see. point. But uh, you'd think it would be sold out because the railway would still go through there, I yeah. think, but it wouldn't need the yard. No. Obviously. I mean, oh, not that the yard's particularly wide, it's just very long. So I don't know how usable some of that space would be. It could be industrial. Some of it, I mean, you think True. you could use for housing as well because yeah. there's housing already backing right onto it. Uh, in Milson. Yep. So I'm sure they'll find uses for it, but we haven't got to there <laughs> just yet. Uh, I wonder too if there was an opportunity to move the railway station from its present unloved uh, site on uh, Matthews Ave near Coronation that, Park. Yeah. But once again, we haven't. Uh, yes. But um, I always wondered, and I remember I actually did a story about 10 or 11 years ago, there was a, a group involving the airport here who wanted to move the railway station there. Uh, to make it by other forms of transport, which made sense in a way, but that just seems such a long way even further from town than the current one. So 
I don't know if you if you want if you get up to catch the capital connection in the morning, you probably want it as close to town as possible in a way. Railway station and airport in the same spot. That could be useful. Yep. Or oh. possibly not. Probably a, a recipe for congestion with everything yeah. else going on it's there. It's been dropped anyway. But these hearings on the uh, rail yards will continue this week where uh, we think we're going to hear from some residents and uh, some of them will be challenging uh, Kiwi Rails. Yes, I should yes, imagine some of them will not be happy. No, and then some of them I think we mentioned a few weeks ago will be challenging the legality saying Kiwi Rail actually doesn't have the right to do this. It only has the right to plan for tracks yes as it were not this. that's right you raised that with us the last time didn't you yes. that they can't act yes they can mm-hmm. and uh, that, well, that's something the hearing commissioner will make a ruling on presumably yes um let's just skip ahead jimmy because we've only got five minutes left but this one's quite important mental health ward and general hospital issues um we spoke to karen naylor in her capacity as a city councillor a couple of weeks ago i do want to get her back with her dhb hat on we, we touched on it briefly and you know basically the dhb are sort of encouraged to just operate as per usual until you're no longer required, thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Which is a little disconcerting but they're having to make some big decisions for example the mental health one. Yeah, I mean and there's other things to worry about at the moment too, there's nurses strikes, midwives uh, strikes at the moment um, but the mental health ward, we've said before they're building a new mental health yes. ward and it's supposed to be built by the end of next year but the current one at the moment is under uh, huge huge amounts of pressure and that's for, for mental health inpatients as it yes. were, people who are being treated at the hospital, not uh, in the community. Mm-hmm. The current uh, ward has 24 beds with capacity for 28, uh, which the mind boggles a bit about what that means. But uh, Corridors. Yes, corridors, uh, offices mm-hmm. and whatnot. But um, I think we might have mentioned, um, I can't remember if I mentioned this to you before, Fraser, or not, but in June, for 15 of the 30 days, uh, the latest figures we have, those 28 beds were full. You mm-hmm. know, in fact, there were more than 28 yes. patients. And uh, if, if you take 24 as the... You know, that's the number that they ideally would have. For only four days were there fewer than 24 people out of 30 days in June uh, in that mental health ward, whereas doctors and medical professionals say 85% capacity is optimal because you want to have a bit of a buffer, yes, uh, if you will. But uh, the, um, the mental health uh, boss at Mid-Central, if you like, the clinical director, Vanessa Caldwell, is leaving. She's taking up a five-year term as a Deputy Health and Disability Commissioner, so a good step for her. Yes. But uh, she's been there for three years in that role, and I feel sorry um, for people in a way who are charged of overseeing this mental health um, portfolio at Mid-Central and, and elsewhere because Insurmountable. Uh, yeah, and I think the only thing that they really need is lots more money yeah. would probably make a difference. Yeah. Um, what can you do with what you've got? But anyway, she's leaving after after three years and the Mid- Mid-Central says they're sort of assessing options as to what to do in the meantime. DHBs are, of course, going to be wound up. Mm. But um, And I'm a bit concerned about aspects of Mid-Central sort of saying a lot of we ask questions about the mental health ward and they keep saying well next year this nice big new ward will be built and that's lovely but that's still 18 months away there's still things you need or 12 months to 18 months you still need to think of the now and those patients who are there for the meantime and and it seems that surely you'd want to replace as soon as possible your clinical director for I think it's mental health and addiction services Mid-Central hasn't said it won't be replaced it's just said it's thinking about options and all that thing but I would have thought you'd just say we're recruiting as fast as we yeah, as fast as we can. A little bit of urgency wouldn't hurt. Yeah, and, and it so happens that it, 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 it's, it's about the signals. It's the right signals to the community. Yes, you know, exactly. We are recruiting. We do exactly. take this seriously. Yeah, yeah, yep. And uh, it just so happens at the moment there's quite a few coronial hearings into deaths at or associated with the mental health ward. Mm. I mean, of course, the hospital does the thing is you know this was years ago and fixed all these problems, but but yeah, 
I didn't. <laughs> yes. We'll, we'll, we'll see uh, about that perhaps. But uh, yeah. It's so, a, so at the moment, does the mental health ward, you know, it's, it's got 24 beds, it can have 28. Mm. Does it just have to turn people away sometimes? Well, yeah, sometimes it's full. You, and so you could be there with a chronic mental health, uh, I don't know what the words are, episode or condition, and just they Well, say, they, they wouldn't turn you away from the hospital. They'd, mm. they'd find somewhere for yeah, you, yeah. but it might not be um, the optimal place, mm. um, I think is what, we, what we're hearing. Um, the and, whole hospital is too small, isn't it? I mean, the ED is too small, yeah. the mental health ward's too small. And that's why I say I feel sorry for the mental, uh, sorry, not the, the uh, mid-central yeah. uh, officials in charge of this because uh, really the only way to fix this is more money, more buildings, yeah. more staff. Do we just need to build a new hospital somewhere else in Palmerston well, North? Potentially, and then we know the emergency department is not fit for purpose. No. We know that there will be a replacement. Just, I mean, where, where's that work at? Yeah, yeah. And we can't even afford to pay the staff properly. No, and of course the, the mid-central DHB is always under pressure. It, it always operates at a fairly healthy deficit. Uh, but what do you do? I mean, do you, you can't cut some of the spending. Presumably it's all essential. Well, apparently the government has a plan, Jimmy, and it involves this new uh, health system with the, the four, let's call them wards. I don't know what they're going to be called, but yes. There we go. Well, I look uh, forward to that. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> yes. Uh, th- Jimmy Ellingham from the Manor 2 Standard, thank you for joining us this morning. Yes, thanks, Fraser. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We will be back tomorrow at half past eight with another edition. Do join Join us then. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.